Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's episode is how to navigate the health system with a very, very special guest. I'll let Clarence introduce her in a minute, so I'll keep you all guessing who she is. But in the meantime, I'd like to really thank our our great background crew. And we really have a crew that's that's second to none. They They work really, really well together. Sometimes when somebody can't do something, the other one picks up the ball and runs with it. So it's really, really good. And it makes our life, Clarence, and, and my life a lot easier in getting a successful health chatter show out to all of you. So thank you to Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, and Sheridan Nygaard for, for doing all our great background research on all our all our shows that give us some good talking points and and things that sometimes Clarence and I would would never think of and so that's that's very well appreciated Matthew Campbell is our our production manager Sheridan also does our our marketing as well so thank you to her and thanks for doing our show today as well Sheridan and then, um, of course, there's my great uh, partner in crime, Clarence Jones. He and I have a great time doing this together. Um, we've learned how to chat a lot better over, over all of these shows, but it's been really fun. And we really, really appreciate all of our, our guests that have been an integral part as well. So with that, we're going to get the show moving today navigating the health system and Clarence I'll let you introduce our illustrious guest. Thank you Stan and I'm glad you said illustrious because we have in the studio tonight Ms. Melissa Winger. Uh, she's the author of the the book Who Cares? The Real Patient Experience and uh, she's talking about the experience of navigating as she called the broken health system. Uh, and Melissa and I have had the opportunity to be on a a variety of different uh, committees. And when she shared that she was the author of a book, I thought this lady has something to tell us and something to say. And so uh, she is uh, appointed a member of the Healthcare Home Advisory Committee, uh, the Emergency Medical Services for Children, uh, family representative. She currently is on the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Social Determinants Health Board, National Technical Advisory Committee on Screening Tool. And look, if, if I if I were list all the boards that she's on, uh, I think I'd be here for the next 20 minutes. But the reason I'm really excited about it is that she's very, very passionate about this issue. And so we're very, very excited to have you, Melissa. And we thank you for being here with us. And so with that, we would like to enter into this conversation with you about uh, who cares. And you can share with us about your real patient experience. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be part of this podcast. Um, it's a wonderful show, so I am honored to be on it. Um, and yeah, just to start, I, I'm not an author, not a writer. Um, I don't know anything about publishing, but this was a story I needed to tell. And so that's when I took the journey on um, what, what it's like for the patient. And it is something that I have looked for on bookshelves for, for decades and couldn't find it. I couldn't find it from the patient's perspective. Um, and so that's why I'm like, I guess I have to write it. So I had to learn all about how to write, how to publish a book and 
here we are. But it took about four years to get here. So, so let's talk about it. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us how you entered into this conversation. What was it? What was the epiphany or the experience that you had that caused you to think about writing this book about who cares? Yeah, I think it is. Um, so I have a son who's now 27, uh, who has medical complexities. And so that is why I am a patient advocate or patient parent representative or whatever the, the term is, consumer, I think we're called at some point. Um, and I realized that over the time that it isn't like other industries where the consumer voice is present in everything and that like other industries where you're purchasing products or services, healthcare is much different. And it's almost like the patient has to force themselves into the conversation. And, and it's a little backwards from, from other industries. And so that's what I've been doing for, for 10 plus years is anybody that wanted the patient experience, the patient representative, the patient at the table, whether it was to fill a, a checkbox, because sometimes you have to have, you know, according to some accreditation, you have to have a patient parent representative. And maybe that it was to check the box. But either way, I thought I could put this in a book. Mm-hmm. And so when there isn't a patient at the table, the message is still out there. You know, that's quite interesting because as I was saying, as I was reading your resume, uh, there you, you must be about like 30 boards. But uh, uh, but I but I understand that you, because we've been together on a variety of committees. I understand your passion for it. Let's talk about your son, though. I mean, the let's talk about the beginning of this this book. Uh, how did you get into becoming a patient advocate? That was actually it's an interesting story because um, I was a teen mom, even though I hate using that that word. I I haven't found a better one. But um, being a young mom and having a son in the hospital a lot for various issues. He's missing the bottom of his fourth chromosome. So every organ system was affected in some way. And I just saw a flyer in the elevator for recruiting parents for the family advisory board at the hospital. And so I thought, sitting here day after day after day, I have a lot of experience. I'm just going to fill out an application. And I remember at the bottom of the application saying um, that they require diversity on the groups to make sure that the entire population is represented on this board. And the only thing that I could think of, and I wrote it in big letters, was I am 19. And then I sent it (laughs) off and I thought, who is going to want a 19-year-old board? And I was accepted. And then a couple years later, I I was the chairperson. Um, Then as the chairperson, I get voted on again. And that sort of gave me that fire of I could see what I could do, you know, when you were able to have viewpoints on how the furniture was organized in a patient room or how their website was designed. And so I started seeing the benefits that I could provide. And then I just have been unstoppable, I guess, being that everybody that wanted a patient and I was approached, I just said, yes, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I've got a, you know, I've got a couple of interesting, you know, as I think about navigating the health system, you know, it it seems to me, you know, kind of an analogous situation in my mind is when any of us go like on an airplane, everything is out of our control. 
Here but the grace of God, we hope that this pilot and the co-pilot knows what the hell they're doing, okay? Now, let's think about the health system. Same thing. It's like when we have to get in to get some kind of care, whether it be um, for chronic condition or, or what have you, um, we're, we're almost, we're out of control. We, we hope that whoever, whoever it is at any given time really knows what they're doing. And at that point, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't even think about insurance because we're sick or somebody that we're attending to is sick and needs attention. So talk to me a little bit about that. You know, it's like this kind of, sense of loss of control when we really need assistance, medical assistance. I, I agree. And that's, I took a spin on that in the book because we use this concept of patient-centered and it's hard for me to understand what that means. And it's almost like a, um, like a fluff word, so to speak. It's this, you are told you're at the center but in reality, what does that mean? Um, and, and it's true. And I love, love the, the airline analogy because it is true. You are still to this day giving up all your control. And the way I always looked at it was, you know, literally handing my baby over for someone to put a knife to them. Like it was so, right, right. It, it, that's not natural to a mother, right? I'm supposed to protect them. I'm supposed to keep him from harm, even though in the back of your head, you know, right, that that it is needed for their health or their well being. But it's that concept of, of handing your, your baby over in that scenario, that it's terrifying. Um, and it never got easier. My son is 27. And I have to walk him back to surgery. And I feel the same as I did. He was, you right. know, four months old. And that's why I took a different spin on the book to say, you are told over and over to be an advocate and you have to fight and stand up. And I'm like, why, why we are at our worst. We are sick. We are weak. And now we're saying, Nope, get up, be alert, watch what's going on, be involved. And it's like, how, when you're at the most worst part of your life. Right. And vulnerable, that. really vulnerable yeah. too. Yeah. You know, you know, Sam and, and, and Melissa, one of the things that, uh, and I think Sandy, you and Melissa both brought this up, is that we go into this uh, system uh, with the expectation that we're going to have a a positive experience, uh, that uh, that the people that we are uh, working with will have our best interest at heart. But I think according to the research, it says that uh, only about 33% of 1,800 people that were surveyed, only about 33% of them uh, reported never having a bad health experience with uh, a health-related experience. But according to a Forbes article, 60% uh, of Americans have had an outright negative healthcare experience. And that seems to go against what we think about how it should work, but we are working with a system that we need, but at the same time, it just seems that there are things that are going on that are not necessarily in our best interest. So, Melissa, what do you think about that? Um, one of, yeah, I, I agree. And one of the interesting things that I think I came across when writing this book, I added a ton of, 
of research to it as well, because my experience is just my experience. And so I wanted to capture the entire picture um, is when they surveyed nursing staff and how many of them would not recommend their own hospital to a family member. And I was like, right. Why don't we use that data? (laughs) Right. Right. Your own employees. Right. Family members or their own or themselves to the hospital they work at. And they're the ones that know, right. They're the ones that truly know what goes on. Yeah. And that, 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 that actually was my experience too, is that I, I was in a, a place where they wouldn't even uh, recommend their own family. They wouldn't bring their own family. And they would say that. I'm like, how can you do that? But obviously there are some things that are amiss. Mm-hmm. You know, in the whole thing, you know, besides the care side of the equation, mm-hmm. okay, where you're you're kind of, you know, at the mercy of, 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 of the healthcare providers, then there's the other side of the equation, navigating this health system. Them, which is so damn confusing. It's just like, you know, even for those of us who who are in health care, okay, or some angle of it, doesn't matter where, even for us, it's just like, my God, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's just insane. I'll give you a perfect illustration. So, um, you know, I, I see um, orthopedic patients after they've had knee surgery. And here's just a little microcosm of what I think is just crazy. There are these machines that they use to provide iced water around a person's knee, a machine, electric machine, okay? And you ready? The patients can rent the machine. And I'm thinking, you know, and I've talked to these patients and I've said to them, I said, isn't it sad? Isn't it just sad? that your insurance just doesn't cover this machine for you know two weeks while you need it at home. It's $75 a week, okay, to rent it. And I'm thinking, think about the complicated aspects for a patient who's at the mercy of everybody because their knee is killing them at that point. Mm-hmm. And they want to use this machine. So what do I say? I say, you know, you've come this far just rent it. If you can afford it, just do it because your recovery will be quicker. But again, it's just like all these little dumb things that drive us all nuts. And it, and it, mm-hmm. and it creates stress, I think, too. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and that's the point I want to take up with you. It's like under who cares? How do you kind of monitor stress? Yeah. I haven't figured that out. If you if you know of anybody, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, right. That's another um, book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, oh, it's, 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 nobody's doing you any favors in this industry. And I had a similar experience with my son um, as a reading a breathing machine, um, and the, it's a BiPAP or CPAP, so it's commonly yeah, used yeah, for CPAP. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I have to put it on a baby, um, and I remember going home with this machine and being taught how to use the machine in the hospital. Well, the machine they're going to give you at home is a completely different model and it works completely different. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring my home machine. I just got dropped off and my home machine into the hospital so they could teach me how to use it on my son before I went home. And I brought the machine in and they said, Oh no, 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 no. 
that's a home equipment. We can't touch that. We, you know, we have to use the hospital equipment. I'm like, I don't know how to use this. And now we just had to wing it. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Melissa, let me ask this question. What do you think are the issues? What's what's really behind the issues that's causing this system to be so broken? What are you what are your thoughts? I know it's I don't know there are a variety of different things, but what do you think are some of the primary reasons why there is such a broken system? I didn't realize the trend until I finished the book. Um, but every chapter, everything I ever wrote in this book, um, I mentioned reimbursement rates and I'm dealing with the Medicaid, uh, with my son mm -hmm. and everything went back to that. And so, but in also in a bigger picture, the, the competing priorities, you know, are the pharmaceutical industry, what are they interested in? They're, maybe they're interested in profits, creating new drugs, being, you know, a shareholder situation or, what are the benefits of the hospital? What are the benefits of um, the accreditation organizations? Mm -hmm. Every single part of the healthcare system, I feel like has a different priority. Sadly, I don't think any of those, I think that's number one in any industry is what I kind of came to the conclusion. It's something else, patients are there, or if it's a public announcement, patients are always gonna be at the top. But in the background, it's like, yeah, but if it's dollars or if it's, you know, market share, okay, that might take the top. I don't think it'll ever be announced that way, but yeah, so <laughs> you, personal thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're, that you're saying that. I always tell people that the color of America is not black or white. It's really green. It's all about the money. And unfortunately, you know, we we find people that are in a position that should be more caring who are unfortunately more concerned about the bottom line uh, uh somebody somebody once said, told me they said uh, the color of corporate america is uh green whenever it, it becomes red it dies so you know just and okay. you know in, in terms of the ink and all those kinds of things but uh do you think that, that there is really a, a a lack of empathy i mean in, in this in this in this work um no i actually think that people that are delivering the care um, are are in it for the right reasons. I think their uh, their leadership or whoever is directing them is the ones that make it difficult. So I'm not the only one like frustrated with the patient perspective, but I find that a lot of actual frontline caregivers are equally as frustrated with the process because mm -hmm. they can't properly care for the patients they want to because they're told, nope, you got to see a patient every 15 minutes or Nope, you're an RN on a floor. You got 10 patients to, to look after. And so they're being stretched to the limit. And that's why I think we're seeing all this burnout because they get into it because I think they truly want to help the patient. And, and then they get in the system and there's so many barriers to that. Mm -hmm. And it's really unfortunate and sad that people maybe at the higher up level have that different priority. I think also when you look at regulation, policy, government, um, they put things into policy or into law with the patient at mind, right? So I'm going to use an example of our electronic medical records, right? So there was this whole push, every, your medical records are going to follow you across the country, across specialists. 
But then when it got down to the level of doing it, that's when you saw all the priorities shift and you saw a different priority in, nope, us as a EHR company, we want to take our market share and have our one product. We don't want to share with another. We don't want to share with this place or that place because we need to make money off our product. Um, so that's really never come to fruition. So the law is there with the patient in mind, but yet when you put those into play, it's that whole system of, yeah, but what's in it for me? And is there a loophole perhaps that I could um, use to get around this this protocol or this policy? I think that's that's what happened. But the intentions are there. So, let me ask, so, you know, it's like, for those of us who have been, you know, in healthcare for, for a while, we're kind of aware of this craziness. Um, and we hear stories like we had, you know, one of our other shows was, was, was with Catherine Standifer, who wrote Lightning Flowers, who, who had a very similar situation. She had a very, very serious heart condition. Mm -hmm. And here it is, she had to navigate, you know, through all of this. All mm -hmm. right, so same, by the way, a great book. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get to a point where, all right, we all kind of know or are kind of at least aware of the problem or problems. Mm -hmm. Where do we start to mm -hmm. try to get this thing solved already? You know, it's kind of like enough already. It's creating so many headaches. Mm -hmm. What, what, in your opinion, Melissa, might be the road to a good solution here? That's a tough one. And it's hard to think about because it's so huge. It's so big. And if you think of all of the people involved in the health system, all of the companies, all of the industries, um, I think that's why nobody really takes it on. Or when government tries to take it on, it doesn't work. I think we've allowed it to get to this place. Um, I, I hope it, it will get better over time. That's the whole reason I wrote the book, to get the perspective out there. Um, but the only you know kind of advice I can even give patients is, even if you're not sick now, you probably will be a patient at some point in your no life. No kidding. Yeah. And you yeah. better study up now. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like Melissa that you don't have a lot of hope for the system. Uh, uh, I, and, and I was thinking about this question. I said, you know, we all know that after COVID, I mean, there are a lot of people that they're not going back to work. I mean, they, they have nursing shortages and doctor shortages and people are saying like, I'm not getting back involved in this. And so a uh, lack of staff and uh, uh, what do you see as a, you know, as a, a glimmer of hope? Is there something that we should be thinking about as a glimmer of hope for trying to address this issue? Um, I think we have a problem listening to those that are frustrated. We wanna pretend that those people, okay, they're a problem patient, they're a problem employee, we'll just get someone else or we'll just ignore them. Um, if there's enough of us, they're gonna listen. And it's hard because you can't get up and speak and you can't oppose to a system that you are expecting to care for you, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna complain about, um, my son's had a ton of medical 
accidents is what I would call them. And I had to be super careful about anything I said or did because my son's coming back in two weeks for another surgery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're marked, you're marked as that exactly. patient. So right? tell me, yeah. So tell me about that problem, problem patient. What was that like for you? Yeah. So I'm a problem patient. My son isn't. I am. <laughs> <laughs> The problem mother, I know, right? I know, <laughs> yeah. but my own, um, I talked about this uh, story a couple of times, but it was, I've been, I have literally as a patient, me personally have been discharged from a clinic um, for non-compliance, which that word is horrible because we're saying we're patient-centered, we're all about the patient, yet follow our orders. You're non-compliant um, and you're shamed. I feel like that's a shaming word. Anyways, I'll go back to my, get off my soapbox on that one. Okay. And I, I had a horrible, um, sudden heart condition at the age of 20. So my son's three and he's at his worst. I'm operating like a mini ICU in my kid's bedroom. And I have an arrhythmia that's out of control. And I would go to the emergency room. I would wait to go to the emergency room until my night nurse came. But I only had night nurses twice, like twice a week. So I would sit with this horrific arrhythmia until I had a night nurse to care for my son. And eventually ended up with a pacemaker and I'm pacemaker dependent. And right after the surgery, they said, you need to be on these blood thinners. Um, and with blood thinners back then, so we're talking 1999, um, you come in for, for weekly lab draws. And I wouldn't go. I said, there's no way I'm packing up an immune compromised child hooked up to equipment and feeding tubes once a week to a clinic where they're right. exposed to everything. I'm not doing it. So I eventually, um, I, I didn't get my labs drawn. I stopped taking the medication and the clinic was, um, they discharged me say, for a non-compliant patient. And then, but the next clinic I went to, completely different story. They got me on a protocol for a home um, INR machine. Mm -hmm. and was able to do my INRs at home, problem solved. But they, this the new clinic looked at my whole situation and worked with me. The last clinic was like, these were our orders. You didn't follow them. Bye. And I know so, the orders are for good reason, but. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. So uh, <laughs> I I'm a about, problem I'm, patient. Right, so I want to talk about what's what's come out of your 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 information here is the concept of trust and the concept of protocols so let, let's talk about trust for just a second again we had a show about trust all right which i again i think is is frankly one of the solutions i really really do if for i'll give a for instance about, oh, I don't know, three, four months ago, I had to get in to see my, my internist, okay? I called to make an appointment. You can't get in to see Paul for, you know, six months. And I'm thinking, what? This is, you know, come on. So you know what I did? I wrote a note directly to my internist, who I've known for a, for a long time. He writes me back, he says, Stan, give me, give me two hours hours and I'll get back to you. Two, uh, within an hour, I get a call from, you know, the scheduling person, you know, Dr. Gottlieb will see you, ne you know, next week. What, well, okay. So I have a good trusted relationship with a physician. That isn't true right. with everybody. Right. And, and, and I think, I, I, 
I might be wrong that a good trusted relationship, one way or the other, like with this second clinic that that you went to, that would increase trust for God's sakes, you know, for your for your care, etc. So I think trust is is one aspect. What what do you think about that? Is that reasonable? Yes. Oh, they, you know, if you trust your provider and they show, um, even that's the reason for the name of the book is because, you know, they're going to, they care, right? They, that care, they care about right? what happens to you. Um, do, even if they can't do anything, let's say they're a pulmonologist and I got a problem with my son's foot. I mean, he right. can't do anything about that, but right. he's going to help me. He's going to get me, you know, he'll be like, oh, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. And let's get you to where you need to be. Right. So I, the reason for the title of the book was legit conversation where I was losing. I was at my breaking point. I was so frustrated with the process. Um, and it was around getting my son's feeding tube resized during a hospital stay and was told, no, 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 you have to be discharged, come back to the surgery appointment. Um, because that's not the goal of the hospitalization. And I just, I remember <laughs> Call this pediatrician, and I'm like, "What? I, seriously? I just need this thing resized. It's leaking. He's got, you know, wounds. This is horrible." And he said, "What do you want me to do? I can't, you know." And I said, "I want you to care. I said, I just want you to care, because I know if you cared, you're gonna help me out. You're gonna do yeah. something. You're gonna take one extra step for me somehow." And that's all I just said was, "I, I want you to care." And I kind of basically hung up and then apologized, of course, but. <laughs> You know, but I, oh, I, I, I really think that that's um, part of a solution for this big, humongous mm -hmm. problem that we have. If people like, you know, any one of us individually established a, a, a trusted relationship with their provider, that in and of itself will help you to navigate, I, I, I think. I, I, I guess maybe I hope. Mm -hmm. So the other question I have for you is this, is this whole idea of protocols. So, um, you know, you're, you're in the quality improvement arena. Ironically, my, my daughter is too at Dana-Farber in, you know, cancer mm -hmm. student in, in Boston. She's a quality improvement engineer. And this is what she said to me, God, it must've been a month ago. She says, Stan, you know, it gets really frustrating trying to do quality improvement in the health arena because everything is established under the guise of protocols. Mm -hmm. And if indeed you're trying to improve care or, or, or what have you, the first thing that they do is look at the protocol. And try to change the protocol, which God knows takes how long. So I'm sure you've had some experience with that. So what's your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Um, I think, you know, I look at the quality lens in a, what are we doing that's of value to the patient? And then how do we get there? So protocols, and I know that they're there for a reason. Um, I try to go on that model of, why are we doing this? Why are um, well child visits important? You know, why are all these things important? Because why do they need them in these protocols? They can just say like a certain, um, you know, measure, healthcare measure. It's, but why? Why is that? Because you just say, you know, A1Cs uh, need to be drawn once a year, but we need to go why? 
you know, why, what's the, what's the reason behind that? Well, you know, then you can start seeing all the benefits and the value actually to the patient in the long run. So I try to focus on that, which can be very hard because I'm always in that patient perspective of why would I do this? Why would I go in and, you know, colonoscopy is a horrible procedure in my opinion. Why would I want to go in there? And I don't just say you have to because it says in the protocol you have to. No, I want to know why. And then if you go into the background of the risks, then it's like, oh, I get it. Okay. We don't go to that level of explaining things. So if so if I if I sense what you're saying, it's um for us mm-hmm. as consumers, I guess is the best way to describe us, um knowing how, I guess, how to ask the right questions or just ask what you believe are the, are, are the right mm-hmm. questions and don't be intimidated by it all. Because mm-hmm. all the stuff that's done for acute treatment and disease management can be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And yet it, it's on us. It really should be on us to ask the hard questions. And I don't think people do that. No. And also we're at a disadvantage as patients. Um, I'm a, I want to look things up. I want to research things even, but you, you can't ever go to your doctor and say you jumped online and looked at stuff. They'll be like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) But I think, you know, physicians and nurse, everyone needs to know, yeah, you're going online. Let's just accept that patients are jumping online. (laughs) And yeah. if it's not them themselves, it's a family member that say, oh, I just read about this. But what we're at a disadvantage is because we don't get the real research. Those are locked behind, you know, the journals that are subscription only are yeah. written in ways that no one is going to understand, you know, beyond a doctorate level. Right. So where's our information coming mm-hmm. from? And it's coming from those sources that we're told are unreliable. Well, then yeah. give us the reliable ones. Right. And <laughs> the easy ones to understand. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask this question. Do you think doctors uh, understand the patient experience? Not unless they've been one themselves. They're so easy to... I go through this in the book that I... The stuff that you're told that you have to do as a patient or a family member... Mm-hmm. is impossible. And I always think you're going to this hospital level care. So even my son starting out with ICU level care, he has this massive team, respiratory therapists, RNs, doctors, intensivists. He just has this whole team caring for him. Then you go down to like a step down unit, right? So then you, you still have your RN, you have your doctors rounding every day. You even might have a social worker coming in. Mm-hmm. And then you're told to go home and it's just you. But a lot of times my son was on the same equipment. He's on feeding tubes. He's on 10 different medications. Those medications are to be given like every two hours. Are you kidding me? When do I sleep? Mm-hmm. And then you get into the outpatient stuff and you're like, ooh, physical therapy, um, occupational therapy, do these exercises and these exercises and then speech. And I'm like, I, I, this is impossible. But we do that. We put the ownership on the patient. We take pride in getting them home sooner right? Get them out mm-hmm. the door, but you're just transferring care. Mm-hmm. You're taking hospital level care that this person may need or recovering from surgery, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You're just shifting it to the parents or you're shifting it to a family member 
Or what if that person, it, it doesn't have any caregivers? You're like, here you go. Here's your wound care stuff. Here's your prescriptions. No one's there to put it on a timetable for you. No one's there to say, okay, this one's with food. This one's not. You're just given a bag of prescriptions and off you go. Wow. I want to say, I, I, I was, one of the things that, that uh, Sheridan came up with, I mean, uh, for this uh, navigating healthcare system, he says that um, a misguided attempt to improve healthcare has led some hospitals to focus on making people happy rather than making them well. What do you think about that comment? That makes me a little nervous too, because they think, well, fine, whatever the patient's going to ask me for. I'll have to give it to them because I don't want a bad, you know, review, right? With pub, with social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's where I think we're getting into a little trouble. I get the, I get why, because a lot of other industries work, right? Don't go to re that restaurant, put your review out there. And you just want that patient to be happy, but there's a way to go about that. It's not that they just, the patient wants you because everybody could walk in and ask for an antibiotic for things that an antibiotic won't fix. I think that patient would be just as happy uh, with some time and understanding of why that's not the best choice. But I think where we get into trouble is they either they just give the drug because they want to make you happy or they just say no, but they don't give you a reason. Yeah. Um, I think those are the things I don't think we need to go down the route of these personal reviews on physicians because it's so complex you're reading a simple review about a physician you have no idea the patients um what their conditions were how they were managed so i don't think that's the appropriate outlet to go mm -hmm. um but i also have issues that are in the book about um the star ratings and other things by accreditation companies i don't think that that is a good way to go either <laughs> Because they're misleading. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so Clarence, to your point, um, you know, I think about like in a children's hospital, I can guarantee you that nine times nine kids out of 10 would be happy when they're in the hospital if you gave them an ice cream cone. Right. Okay. That's um, right? right. I mean, right. ice cream, right. come on. Right. Adults right. too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but But on the other hand, we've got, the medical condition to to attend to. So I, I I think if if I'm not mistaken, there's a balance. There's a real a real real balance in that in that kind of question that 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 you're you're talking to. I do know from based on on my experience dealing with you know the orthopedic patients i see they they greatly appreciate talking to somebody who's gone through it mm -hmm. okay so like you know a, an orthopedic surgeon who replaces a knee you know standing there doing the surgery but guess what they don't have a replaced knee themselves mm -hmm. so they 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 they've never experienced they've heard about the pain and they've treated patients with pain and you know and the and the discomfort of it but they but they can't empathize with it okay mm -hmm. so then when i go in you know as somebody who's had a knee replaced and i talk to a patient they're so grateful yeah they're absolutely yeah. so grateful mm -hmm. i mean it, that makes them happy because they're yeah. getting some some good information from somebody who's been down the path Okay, you know, and I, yeah. and I think that may. I, so, I, my my response to you, Clarence, is 
a balance. Ice yeah. cream and you know good care. <laughs> yeah. You know when I uh, when I when I was looking at your your title of your of your book with who cares, I, I think about uh, for me. So many people have the whether it's whether it's real or not. So many people have the perception that uh, nobody cares. So why do I go to the doctor? I mean, I, I'd rather you know take care of myself versus uh, you know trusting a system that is uh, not sympathetic mm -hmm. or empathetic towards me. And I, I think about about uh, how do we how do we how is it or what is it that we can do to help to address this issue? I know that you talked about having patients being fully aware of what they're going through, but mm -hmm. are there some other things that we could be looking at? I mean, some other things that we as consumers should be talking about? I mean, that's part of why we have this kind of show is that we know that these are real issues. This is the chatter that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. We're just chatting about the fact what everybody else has heard or they know about is that we have some problems here. Mm -hmm. So what is it that we should be doing? What is it that we should be thinking about? Um, I like to take the look at, obviously, from the mm -hmm. patient perspective. But the fact that the patient experience is kind of a new thing, we're measuring it now. We're, mm -hmm. we're looking at it. It's like we've been patients for how long? And now it's right. finally in 20. <laughs> like right. Now we're going to, oh, now maybe we should pay attention. Right. And it's using those things like in a clinic level is my suggestion is what are preventing your patients from coming to see you? What would you personally not like about coming to your clinic? And these are things that are, well, I work full time. My kid goes to school. Why are you only open from eight to five, right? Now I got to take the day off and I got to pull my kid from school. But then you go in and you kind of, sometimes you're, you're, you're a little shamed if your child misses too much school. And it's like, yeah, but we had to take off for today. <laughs> or you look at those things with um, coming into the appointment. How many clinics, and I get why they're looking at their patient's schedule, but how many clinics have rules where if you are late, and if you're late more than three times, you're discharged from that clinic. It's like all of those things kind of make you not want to go. Or if you've ever been shamed about a habit you have, instead of them helping you, them telling you that's wrong, you're unhealthy, that's so bad for you. It's like, I don't want to take the day off work to go have that conversation, <laughs> You know, yeah. all of those things that make you go, why don't I ever want to go to the doctor? It's like, can you change those in your clinic? You know, I think one of the things that I like that, I think one of the things for me and in, in some of my experiences, and it's not for everything, but uh, it's how patients are received mm -hmm. that also uh, makes them have the perception like, who cares? I mean, if you have a, a bad front desk person, mm -hmm. receptionist, or you have people that, you know, will make you sit for an hour or two and then, you know, then you have your 10 minute, your 10 minutes. Uh, it, it, it really creates a, a real mm -hmm. issue for families. And I think that it's why it's so important to talk about it because we want to talk about what is the real patient's experience and then how do we inform people, both the patient, the consumer, as well as the practitioner mm -hmm. on how to make that experience better 
And I think that that's, you know, make it better and not more bitter. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I think that part of what I, I like about your book, you know, is the fact that you're trying to help us to address this. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. appreci I appreciate that. You know, Thank that's you. that's my that's my uh, my thought. I have a ton of ideas on. If you think from the patient perspective, I mean, these are why are kids, you know, um, for their postnatal um, appointment for for new mothers. Now they have a new. We don't even think of this. They have a newborn. Their newborn also needs a well child. You know, in the perfect world, could we combine that? Could the mom and baby come in and get both things done? Could you have an OB and a pediatrician? <laughs> Those types of things. And I I know that's a wishful thinking. But if we really were on the patient side, we'd go, oh, yeah. So, you know, to, I, I keep thinking you know, a lot of things on, under this umbrella. Um, it's easy for us to maybe say we've got communication issues. Okay, which which we do not only this, but in a million other things. Um, however, you know, being being solution oriented, if we can, for 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 a minute. Um, let's play this one out. If somebody's got to go in for a procedure, you could probably think of your son, for instance. Uh, he's got to go in for a procedure. You know, well, automatically everybody's stress level has is heightened, okay? Mm -hmm. What is it, you know, based on your experience, what is it that would have been, would have been really good for you to hear or be aware of before one of your son's mm -hmm. particular procedures that would have really helped you to keep that stress level down, which obviously that is going to help your son, you know, et cetera. Do, do, can you reflect on that mm -hmm. a little bit? I think it's going back to what you said earlier. It's you want to know front to back, not good things, but anything that, possibly could happen even at the procedure level but also we we talk about the procedure level and the risks and all that but we don't yeah. really necessarily say anything about recovery yeah and this Disease could happen management. a week yeah, yeah this could happen a week later two weeks later and also talking to another person who's had the procedure that is just taboo in right we're like HIPAA no way are we gonna connect you with another family but there are families like I would be thrilled to talk to another parent who's getting a, their baby's getting a feeding tube yeah i want to be contacted yeah so we don't yeah. even bother to ask right or is there a system set up to to do something like that that seems like a no-brainer to me right i don't know there are certain programs that do like in the in the heart um in the cardiovascular arena there's yeah. um some programs that are called mended hearts, you know, for somebody mm -hmm. who has gone through heart surgery, for instance, and mm -hmm. somebody who is facing it, they connect them. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Absolutely mm -hmm. wonderful. I, I can't imagine it not being a stress reducer. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there are people that are suited for it. And there's people that that aren't, I think the, there's a tiny risk and that's why we don't do it, is that you might get connected with somebody who had an awful experience and make you think that it's completely awful 100% of the time. And so then Correct. maybe you don't- Correct. But that's a small- Small percentage. percentage. 
But because yeah, of that, we don't do it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? or, or minimal. Right. Um, all right, so Clarence, so how much. do we get the gestalt <laughs> around all of this? I mean, it's just like, okay, navigating the healthcare system. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, just yeah. by saying that, you know, it increases your blood pressure. God knows how yeah. much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, I, but what, I, should, what should we be telling everybody out there in the listening audience? We didn't solve it. I thought we solved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done. We should no, all get I the actually, Nobel Prize. Right, right, right. I actually think that, you know, a clear understanding of the patient's experience will assist. 100%. Yeah, will, will, will help clinicians to be to do a better job, but also to help the patient to understand more. There is not enough, as you know, we talked about communication. There's not enough of an understanding between each other. I mean, we you know, we talk about, at least, at least for me, I talk about uh, the whole idea about translation, making sure that the, the, the patient and the clinician both are on the same page when it comes to these issues so that you don't have this this conflict, which could be easily addressed by people being, you know, being uh, uh, more empathetic. And so I think that part of it is really is we need to understand what the real experiences are. And I think that this book, as you just said, is, is part of the uh, conversation that may help us to get to this next level. Yeah. The, the I, I think consumer. I think a doctor should hand yeah. this out to every patient. Yeah. Be just, it's the yeah. consumers that are getting like those surveys. Filling out those surveys, I filled out seven thousand of them, and no change has been made. Yeah, and so don't do those. You know, it's those check marks. Likely yeah. to recommend. Why don't you give me a text box that I can put? This is what's wrong. This is what would have made it better. Yeah, and then actually yeah. do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Um, well, I, I don't know if we've solved anything. We certainly have put. <laughs> put the issues out in the forefront. And I hope our, our listening audience realizes that you you don't have to sit on your thumbs. You really right. don't. You can you can be an active participant in your own care, in the care of your loved ones, it's mm. et cetera. And uh and and feel that you're not you shouldn't be intimidated. Ask the mm. right questions respectfully. Mm. That's that's fine. It shows that you care in the sense that you hope that they they care as well. Clarence, last thoughts. You know what, Melissa, I want to thank you very much for this this conversation. I have not had the, you know, you said everybody at some point will go into this medical possibility of, of, of having to go through the system. I have uh, not had the uh, experience yet of going through the system uh, with, uh, with so many uh, issues. But I tell you what, it's it's very good to to know that uh, there are ways to alleviate or to address things. I think that you know, with your book, you're opening up the open up the pathway for conversation. And so, for those people who are in the system or who who are going to go into the system, there's at least a a better foundation mm -hmm. for understanding. And so, I want to thank you for 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 being a part of our show. So, those are my yes, thoughts. Thank you. You know, thank I want to. So I want to thank you as well. It's like I, you know, my, for personally, my takeaway from a show like this is, it's okay to ask. It really is. Don't just assume. Okay, you know, you can. It's okay to say why, or ask why, or or question something every once in a while, or um, 
it is okay to be an advocate for a loved one. I mean, don't think that you have to be intimidated by doing that. Um, and and I think if, if the more we say it and the more um, we as consumers hear it and the more the healthcare providers and the health systems hear it, perhaps, mm-hmm. and hopefully yeah. we'll be on the, on the right page together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is my only hope. And so thank you so much to get this conversation going. You are an absolute gem. And we thank you so much for for being part of our show. Exactly. Um, To our listening audience, we hope to get this this show out ASAP. So so stay tuned and, and watch our Health Chatter website for that. In the meantime, we have more great shows coming up, so stay tuned for for them. Everybody says, you know, what happens when you run out of out of topics in healthcare? Believe me, I don't think we have to worry. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, everybody, everybody out there, keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us, send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com. Thank you.